listening to the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast, affectionately known as The Mog, an open forum and promotional outlet for budding artists and creatives from all across the Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Brad Cox, not necessarily affectionately known as anything other than Brad Cox, but I'm here all the same. Let's see who and what we're chewing on today on The Mog. Friends, East Coastians, and country men and women of all ages, welcome to the MOG. As always, links for our guests will be made available in the description, and a song or some type of promotional feature will be tacked on to the end of each episode. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors, Vagabond Sandwich Company, Capricost Books, Musicland, Black Eyed Susie's, Double Groove Brewing, Baltimore Decal Gal, and Reb Records. Remember to love local, support local, and to eat and drink local. Don't forget to use discount code MOG. Pod for a 10% discount at Capricost Books. Everyone knows you can't stop by Main Street Bel Air without grabbing one of Black Eyed Susie's legendary orange crushes and a killer lunch or dinner. Black Eyed Susie's has been supporting local for a long time. It's your one-stop spot for original and cover entertainment and an afternoon or evening out with friends on their rooftop deck. If you haven't heard, there's something very special about Double Groove Brewing. It's a melting pot of personalities, ages, loves, interests, and musical tastes. There are hippies, professionals, rockers, folk artists, friends and families here. Throw in the most delicious and satisfying craft beer on the planet and this place is complete magic. They are tireless supporters of the local talent. Stop by their location in Forest Hill for a pint and a night out with friends. The Authors and Artists Gift Sale is returning on November 5th from 9am to 2pm. This annual event showcases the work of local authors and artists who gather in the Bel Air Armory on Main Street to exhibit and sell their work. Harford Dance Theater is bringing back their holiday classic, The Nutcracker, to the Amos Center on December 2nd through December 4th. For tickets and details, visit HarfordEvents.com. The Hip Play Ballerinas, blending their unique fusion of hip-hop and ballet, will be coming to the Amos Center on February 26th at 3 p.m. For tickets, visit tickets.harford.edu. The Rock Spring Financial Group brings the American dream to life with hard work, dedication, and pride. Rock Spring Financial Group offers full-service mortgage loan options to either assist with lowering your interest rate, consolidating debt, or buying a new home. They maintain a local reputation with honesty, competitive rates, and trustworthy loan officers. Call Rick Metzger today. He's local and actually has an office in Bel Air, Maryland. Tired of speaking to loan officers from an online outfit? Go with the local folks at Rock Spring Financial Group. Give them a call at 443-801-6389. It's 443-801-6389. They have a five-star rating on Google. Stop by and find out why. Nicole Marie, known to many as the amazing, fabulous, well, all of the adjectives Nikki Barr, has been circling the mid-Atlantic music scene for nearly two decades. After Nikki Barr, Nicole went on to front the very successful Baltimore-based rock group The Last Year, and she's back with a brand new covers project called Radio Hero. Not to fear, she's still been working behind the scenes on some soon-to-be-released original music with her partner in music and in life, Scott Von Ensign. Whether in voice, instrument, or written word, her influence on the Baltimore music scene has been unmistakable which has been touted by some of the area's best and most well-known. Nicole's music could be described as pop alternative, but her smooth voice could complement any genre of music, as was proven on Nicky Barband's cover of Nine Inch Nails' industrial classic, Closer. In the spirit of all, she's a cornucopia of talent, light, and color, and I couldn't be happier to have her on the show. So join me in welcoming Nicole Marie to the Gosh Darn Mog. 
Nicole, welcome to the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. That was quite an intro. Wow. It was. It was actually longer than usual. I realized that as we were listening back, I'm like, that's actually a really long intro. <laughs> it's okay. I don't know if you were well, surprised. There's always horses and chickens and cows in the episodes. It's all part of being in Harford County. We welcome you here to Harford County. Where were you coming from this morning? Uh, I'm coming from North Baltimore, sort of in the Hamilton okay. neighborhood. Yeah, but I am I know horses and chickens very well because my grandparents <laughs> had a farm on the eastern shore and I spent much of my childhood there. Really? Yeah. So when did you move to the Baltimore area? I moved to Baltimore by way of Annapolis. I was in Annapolis for about a year and then had a band house in Brooklyn, uh, like South Baltimore. No, when area. you say band, you mean Nikki Bar band. Yeah, I guess at that time it was Nikki Bar band. Okay. Yeah. Were there actually bands prior? Well, I guess we'll get into that in the background. I but. went through a series of uh, hired musicians. So it was okay. like Nikki Barr and then other people playing with me, a variety of musicians. But Nikki Barr Band was when we we really found ourselves and it was BJ and Scott and yeah. Island. And, yeah. So you've been playing with a lot of these folks for a long time. BJ was definitely in the last year. You said Island Styles? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alan Styles played guitar. And, and yeah. when did Scott come into the mix? Scott was probably around the same time that. I, so I think Island actually started playing uh, in my band first because he grew up on the Eastern Shore too. This is a very talented <laughs> group of guys. I mean, yeah. BJ's with Candlebox on and off, I guess. Like, is he permanently yeah. in the band now? Or yeah, yeah, BJ's currently mind blowing for him. Uh, it is. I remember when he called me to tell me that he got the gig. Yeah, because he'd been waiting. He thought it was coming. Um, and he called me and he was, he was like, Oh man, my, my head is just spinning. He's like, I just don't know what yeah. to do. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Just, and, and you know, you Ride have that, wave. you have that feeling of like, I've been playing for years and then this opportunity comes along you're like, am I really, uh, you know, good enough to go right. tour with Candlebox? And, you know, we talked about it for a while. I'm like, they wouldn't have asked you. They if, wouldn't have asked if you. They, if they didn't think now, you Now, did were. he know somebody in the group? Like, how did he make that connection? So Island was yeah. the first to join okay. Candlebox um, out of our group of friends. And uh, he, I think he found it just through networking, playing with other musicians. And, um, you know, I, at some point, I think they they sort of knew that they were going to probably be looking for a new drummer. And BJ was, of course, the first call that they were going to make. We need the last year and Candlebox tour. <laughs> we need this. That's an interesting We need to boot club. this up and make this happen. Yeah. Um, something to think about for sure. Yeah. Well, let me read the news really quick and then we'll get into this whole podcast. Okay. All Sounds right. good. Transcendent Events is bringing Stellarcom back to the APG FCU Arena on November 19th. For tickets, visit the official Stellarcon Facebook page. Rapola Entertainment is bringing Makeout and the Figure It Out Tour to Zen West on November 18th with locals Kings of the Wild Things, 408, Don't Panic, Heartbent, Morning in May, and Ben DeHaan. Have you played Zen West? Not yet, no. It's a really cool room. Yeah. It's kind of like a mix of Chili's and Fletcher's, if, if you can picture that. <laughs> Okay. The right-hand side is a restaurant, and the left-hand side is a bar. All Very right. cool place. Uh, finally, Feed the Scene presents Pilot to Gunner, Tired Radio, God Damn It, and Celebration Summer to the Crown on November 20th. And be the first to message me the word radio to win a $25 gift card to the Baltimore Decal Gal. So... As I told you, I think pre-podcast, this is a very special episode. This is the 100th 
Mouthful Graffiti Podcast. Woo-woo! So I couldn't be happier to have you on. And it, we're going to dub this one a Halloween episode. So I hope later in the podcast you did come equipped with a ghost story of sorts. Mm. <laughs> If not, I'll just watch you eat the candy that's okay. there right next to you. You got Reese's. This is the key to my heart right here. Now, for Halloween, let's just talk Halloween for a second. Do you have a favorite go-to costume? Obviously, you can see I'm wearing the cat ears. I do not like to be uncomfortable in my costume. So it's, you know, I, I do the cat often. How about you? Mm, let me think back. So we um, decided to go as the farm animal group one year. That was pretty okay, fun. So sort I- of sound effect right there. <laughs> right. So I had like a zebra mask. Um, I, oh, my name was Leslie Stripes. Okay. okay. Uh, we had um, uh, the a bear costume. I, th- I think it was Bernie Panders was his name. We had uh, Chris P. Bacon. <laughs> Bernie Panders. <laughs> I had to piece that together for a second. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, we had uh, Chris P. Bacon, of course. He was dressed up as a pig. Um, so, yeah, we were the farm animal bunch that. I love that. That one was pretty fun. A- any standout costumes besides that? Just something like maybe an amalgamation. Like I, I did Eddie Van Salen at a point. <laughs> nice. And I was a sailor. Walking around with a guitar, and that was like one of those, you know. I I've done the Keith Stone. Uh-huh. That, that's a good one. That that's super easy. You just carry a you know a case of Keystone beer and put a mustache on, and you're good. Oh man, see, I was ne- never nearly as creative as that. Um, I do see, not I had... even remotely believe that. I just think <laughs> I you're on the as, spot. I dressed up as Prince one year. That one was pretty good. I okay. had like the purple jacket and the hair. Um, Speaking of hair, why did you take the wig off? I know. Well, it gets a little hot. It but, does. Yeah, that was a nice wig, but it was very similar to that. You'll see it in the pictures. <laughs> um, I also dressed up. So we used to play Fantasy Fest, and uh, which is a week-long Halloween adult Halloween celebration. Cool. Like they have the Kinky Fest and all sorts of stuff like that. And this nice. is down in Key West. Oh my God, Duval Street. Yeah. It, it doesn't get better. Yeah. Good times. Now, the first time we went to Key West, we didn't realize that there were no beaches in mm. Key West. We were there's, a little confused, but then we realized there was two and a half miles of bars. Yeah. There's semi beach, but you don't, it's not like you don't want to walk out into the water. It's pretty rocky. Yeah. yeah it's all right. Um, no, it, it is all about the the party lifestyle. And you did this for an entire week? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Where, we would where, play where, every night for like six nights in a row. So we played Margaritaville, Sloppies was another big one. That was what I was going to ask. Where were you mm-hmm. playing? Sloppy Joe's, yeah. the Green Parrot. Where, what else is down yeah, there? Yeah, we played New Year's actually Sloppies one year. That was fun. It's a cool yeah. room. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. um, trying to think. Those were really the only two places we played. We we had always wanted to play Green Parrot, but maybe weren't the right fit. I mean, they get a lot of like blues, rock types yeah. of bands in there, but it was it's fun to hang out there. So when sure. you were doing like clubs or, or places like Sloppy Joe's, were you doing more covers just because that environment's so touristy? Yeah, we got away with playing original stuff. Sloppies for sure. They you need to play like popular cover songs right. in that because the cruise ship lets out and the people are running into you know get some drinks and yeah they want to hear Santa Maria or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But but in Margaritaville we got away with playing uh, original too and sold CDs and merch and stuff. We did pretty good there actually. So what years was this taking place? Ooh, good question. Um, I'd say maybe mid to I don't know, like 2010 to 10 to 12, maybe, maybe a little earlier than that. 
Okay. It's all a blur now, man. It is all a blur. <laughs> like to think back that I started playing in right out of high school, that would have been 2001. My first record I think was 2005, like somewhere around there. And uh, we did a bunch of those AFE tours. That was probably the next five years after that. And what, so what's an AFE there. tour? Armed Forces Entertainment. That's what I thought, but – yeah, so it's like a USO style tour, and uh, that that changed my life. Actually, we were we were in Afghanistan, and Kuwait, and to Bosnia, Kosovo. Wow. We were in Japan, all military bases, and we're usually there at the holidays. So you can imagine, like it's 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 and a very rewarding experience for us because, um, like we were living like they were. I mean, we were eating in the mess halls and, you know. But you were seeing the world like in a totally different way through a totally different lens. It's true. And I think my my love for travel is certainly comes from that. I don't like now all I want to do is travel. And you just got back from Spain, (laughs) uh, specifically Malaga. Yeah, we were in Malaga, um, rented a a car. I totally butchered that. That's okay. (laughs) I've I've been learning how to pronounce it myself. You were in Cordoba. Uh, yeah, which is Cordoba. Okay, I'm just <laughs> going to okay. stop talking. My my Bellarian is coming right See, out. Can, now, have you got the R's down yet? Ronda. Ronda. Very I can good. Do the R's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. I listened to the Chili Peppers. I got That's it. right. <laughs> which does not have an R it in it, but we'll let that slide. Oh, yeah, he just made it happen. <laughs> Um, so we went to Fluid. Ronda, Cordoba, Granada, and then came back to Malaga, and okay. it was amazing. Yeah. So while you were there, did you catch any shows? I did see the tap dancing video, but did you see any like <laughs> like rock dancing. shows? Uh. They'll strike you down probably for that one. Um, So we didn't see any like, you know, this is one of the first trips we've been on where we. Wait, was it not tap? What, what what was it? I'm so sorry. It's flamenco. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You're kinda, right. They'll definitely strike me down. It's kind of like tap dancing. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you'd think of it. It's it's very particular. After they hear me say Cordoba, though, though they, they've got it. <laughs> like this guy's an idiot. So no, it's all right. Um, we didn't see any like live rock shows there, but a couple other places we've been. Like we were in um, Israel, in Jaffa. Which is like the the cool hip part of uh, like Tel Aviv area. Yeah, and so I just had a band <clears throat> called the Dodies from Southern Israel. They are awesome, mm-hmm. totally indie punk pop band. You'd love them, I yeah. think. But anyway, go ahead. So we uh, Scott like knew from some one of his friends like about this club, but it but you you couldn't like search for it and like find it. We had no idea where it was, so we just kind of started following people and we're like asking them, "Do you know where this place is?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, follow us." And so we end up at this place unmarked, like you wouldn't even know it was there. You walk like down this cellar, and it's like the super awesome dark. Everything's all red, um, and they had this band up on stage playing um, Led Zeppelin. We're like, oh. Awesome. I mean, yeah, like yeah. you're in Israel listening right. to this Van cover Led Zeppelin and they're killing it. Right. Yeah. That's incredible. So with all this traveling, do you get any kind of a sense of culture shock from like any of it? Sometimes. Definitely. Um, less more so now in some of the Middle Eastern countries because we we visited them so much. But at first it was pretty shocking because it's difficult to understand the language. And But in, I'd say Japan was definitely a culture shock. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a combination of like 
also not really understanding words like the right. characters and stuff like that. And, and when you go out to eat, you're like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to point to it and maybe it'll taste good. Right, right. Yeah. A lot of your pictures are obviously these like quaint towns, these really beautiful architectural landscapes. But do they also have like the big box stores? Like, is there like an area like where you would find like your best buys and your targets and like some of those like Walmarts? Not really. I think Which that they're be great. Uh, yes, it was because they they don't need it, right? So you, the, most of these towns, villages, and even some of the cities, larger metropolitan areas, um, they're, they want it to be walkable and like you want to be able to carry stuff. So it's not like you see a lot of these huge pickup trucks, right. big vehicles carrying things around. It's it's you want things that are portable, easy to pick up and go, and you're getting fresh fruits and vegetables. Like you go to the market, which is actually like what you envision a market was back in the day, like fresh fish and fruits and vegetables. And like, you have to get there early if right, you want the freshest giant. stuff. Yeah. Um, not a lot of preservatives. Really affordable though. Wow. We had dinner and a bottle of wine. The bottle of wine was like $9. So <laughs> let's talk about inflation for one second. <laughs> oh, Just one second. Like, yeah. what is going on in the grocery stores? Like you will go to get a box of cereal and it's $8. Yeah. Like how is that even remotely reasonable? Who can afford that? Yeah. It's it's really expensive. So I've been on – I'd say the last four years I got um, hooked on some podcasts. As you can imagine, all of us and, love the podcasts. And uh, I found myself following what is called the FIRE movement, which is financial independence retire early. Okay. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of the people who follow this movement also practice like geo-arbitrage. Like you get to the point where maybe you have a remote job, you can be a digital nomad and you can travel to and live in places of the world. Digital nomad? <laughs> sounds exotic. <laughs> you can travel to places, you know, around the world where you where the cost of living is much lower and have a wonderful life, you know? Yeah. So why not? I, You know, it's tough. The, the prices continue to go up and most people's paychecks don't continue to go up and right. it's hard. You know, I, I, want, I wonder all the time. I, I do have a full-time job, fortunately. Um, and, you know, Scott is a professional musician, full-time musician, sound guy. And so, you know, for, for someone who works for themselves, for they don't have like the Regular social security, and, all that kind right. of stuff. Like later in life, I, I know I'm, I'm still very young, but I think about these things like in the future, how, how, when it is time for us to quote unquote retire, how are we going to do that? And so right. I've been spending the last several years trying to set us up. When so you think about like the passage of time, like for me, that's only 20 years from now. That's not a long time. Yeah, you it's know? not. I don't know how old you are, but I'd imagine it's probably 25. Yeah, uh, you got it. Nailed it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be wrong. No. I really didn't want to be wow, wrong. Wow, you just pulled that one out. So, okay. So you go to a place like Spain. Do you think to yourself, why don't we just move here? I, I have. And uh, yeah, we're definitely on board with that. So yeah. um, I think at some point, obviously, we'll probably... you've played over there. You know what music translates. Yeah. Um, either we'll head east or maybe south, like down to Mexico. Sort of still exploring down there too. Lots of options, though. So let's talk about your day job. What are you doing during the day? 
We talked about it a little bit upstairs, but... Yeah. um, So I'm a nerd. I'm a digital project manager. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, So I currently work on... uh, And I work for Catholic Relief Services, which is headquartered in Baltimore. Amazing nonprofit that does programs around the world. And it's a lot of like humanitarian relief, helping to build up communities, just like... I wake up every day feeling pretty good about the work that I do, even just the small you know, piece that I play um, into that. And uh, so I work on uh, the website. So updating, like creating new pages or updating content, making sure it's fresh, email marketing. Um, Yeah. Sounds like we have very similar jobs, except (laughs) I'm in cultural events. And I also feel good about that work. What I don't feel good about is what we also talked about, which was sales. I didn't really feel good about that. You know, it's kind of like maybe you're offering a solution, but a lot of times you're just trying to hit your number. Yeah, you know. and you'll say just about anything, right? Well, when it's near the end of the month, you will. <laughs> <laughs> this right here, this is going to solve all your problems yeah. right here. Yeah, I've never really liked that either. It It's, uh, I don't know, a pretty stressful job, I got to say. Kudos to you for doing that. Somehow, playing as long as you've played, and I played for a very long time too, I think we only actually performed twice together. Once with Schizo at Sonar at a very, very late, we, it was like 12.31 in the morning when you were going on, we were going on, and then that was the end of the show. It was like that side room. It wasn't like the big Sonar room. It was mm-hmm. like the, the other part of Sonar. And then most recently in 2017, our bands played, we were in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay with Matt Davis. Yeah, that's right. That was a cool show, actually. So yeah. I guess my question is, had we met, other than those two shows, had we played together? Had we met prior? That is a good question. I can't imagine why we wouldn't have, right? And right. Even just knowing that Matt Davis being a connection there, because I don't know, we we would go out to see Noise in the Basement all the time. If you were out there, I'm pretty sure we've seen each other out there. But I just bumped into each other and didn't yeah, realize it. In terms of playing shows, I mean, you may be right. Uh, again, it just sort of starts to blur together after a while. It does. So many shows. And Sonar's not even open anymore, are they? No, we've lost Sonar. We lost Fletcher's. We lost Wrecker briefly. Yeah. Have you played the new Wrecker yet? I have not. Scott has, though. I really want to play it. I just feel like I need to, like, touch that bass. Yeah, that's a good spot. We saw Jimmy's Chicken Shack play there um, after COVID, like, when everything was starting to open back up. Now, he really had – I mean, he's always been, uh, you know – doing great work, but he really had a resurgence. I think doing all those acoustic shows that reawoke people to Jimmy's Chicken Shack mm-hmm. and Jimmy in particular. How did you traverse COVID? It was pretty shocking at first. And I guess I should back up by saying that during that time, um, and this was before I started working with Catholic Relief Service, obviously, but um, I was a center director for a nonprofit, so a physical building, northwest side of Baltimore. And it was a... Um, a senior center. So it was like private nonprofit senior center. And we did community programs and we had to shut the building down. We had the most vulnerable population. So if you remember, Governor Hogan made that announcement. The first thing he did was shut down all the senior centers because they're at the highest risk, of course. So um, we did. It was like this rush to like shut everything down. And I was, I, I panicked a little bit. I mean, we did all right. We, we actually did better than all right, um, you know, about a year later. But I, at that time, I just thought I might not have a job. Like, right. <laughs> where is this that fear going? Was, that fear was big. <clears throat> because we 
you know, I was looking up on CDC's site and like if they if they were going to put out a vaccine like that, we knew that that's what needed to happen for things to start to open back up. Well, they probably wouldn't get it approved for at least a year. And how am I going to, you know, support this nonprofit, allow it to survive um, when everything shut down and we relied on funding coming in from these programs, right? Right. So um, <clears throat> my my tech skills, I, I went to work and um, worked with a software developer uh, that we'd been working with for a while to create a virtual senior center. And we were up and running in about three to four months and had what? like over a What is a virtual senior center? You have to explain um, this. In the beginning, I got a lot of pushback from some of my team members. They're like, there's no way that seniors are going to log in online and like use Zoom because right, it, right. it was a lot of them hadn't really used any of that technology yet. And in fact, a lot, a of, lot my, of us hadn't. A actually. lot of my staff hadn't used it. You're right. At that point, I had hadn't used it either. So we were all learning together. And I think that's what helped. We were like, let's just do it. We have no other choice. Right. Like, I I think it's going to fly. Let's just see what we can do. And we did. And we we worked with the seniors over the phone to, like, help them get up and running. And we kept them connected during um, COVID. And, uh, yeah, I was actually interviewed on WBAL or WJZ, one of those, uh-huh. uh, about the, the virtual senior center because it was a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's stick with your job for a minute. You recently posted that you're a scrum master. <laughs> it it sounds it's another nerdy title. Yeah, yeah. So, what is a scrum master? Are you are you familiar with agile? Like, um, it's yep. a it's a mindset, if you will. It's a way of working. So, there are a lot of organizations now that are shifting from traditional waterfall project planning, which is you gather a lot of information up front, and there's a lot of planning that goes into it. Works great when you're like building a house, for example, because you need to make sure that you have it, you know the foundation, the mm-hmm. structure, like all of these things, and they need to be like done on at a specific time and you need to complete it by a specific time. Certainly things come up, but So kind of like a team lead of sorts? Sort of like that. Yeah. Okay. But but agile is used more in um, software development. We could use it in like web project management right. um, where you are um, you deliver in increments. So instead of the um, person not seeing their house until it's close to finished, now they can see it through every phase and maybe make changes along the way. And it's not such That's a- That's pretty cool. You know? So Scrum Master is a servant leadership role that you want a team that works autonomously. Um, so there's not really any micromanaging at all. Well, That's- thank God for that. <laughs> Nobody bad. likes that. I don't know why managers don't get that, but nobody <laughs> likes it. Nobody that's an adult. Yeah. Now you can see why they're headed in this direction. But it does mean that you need to build a strong team. Yeah. So it takes several sprints, several of those increments of delivery to get to the point where your team is stable and you know how much their output is and how productive they can be. And like you make changes. It's like continuous improvement. Okay. You just had a birthday in September. I did. You are on the Virgo Libra cusp. No, that's interesting. You're pretty I've, darn close. How much do you know about your sign? Uh, I know a lot about the Virgo. Probably less about Libra. Logical, practical, systematic. All that stuff. But that's me. the Libra, myself, uh, we're extroverted, cozy, friendly, according to Google. I don't know. But 
How close would that be to your personality? I would say I'm not an extrovert. If if isn't you think- that weird though? Because you are a front person, just like I am. But I'm not an extroverted person. People would think based off Facebook that I am. They would base it off the fact that I, I'm a lead singer. But I'm not an extroverted person. I don't like going out. Yeah, no. And after we finish this conversation, I'm probably going to be ready for a nap. <laughs> really? Well, because it's it it does take a lot to like, especially if I'm not quite in the mood. I'm actually feeling pretty good right now. But if I'm not in the mood to like talk, I'm not like a talker on the phone. Um, you know, when people ask me questions, like certainly I'll like hang out and talk. But when I go to parties, I'm the person who's probably sitting in the corner in my black leather jacket, like not really going up to talk to people. Right. Unless maybe I've had a few drinks. <laughs> I feel like it's like like a social anxiety that I have a hard time getting over. Like when I'm talking to people, especially if it's loud, I can't hear them. I want to make sure that I'm not coming across the wrong way. I get in my head and it just turns into like a nightmare and I just want to go home. Yeah. I wonder if anybody's really a true extrovert. Yeah. Or if it's just kind of a persona. Yeah. I think being a performer, a musician, and meeting so many people, um, I've, it's almost like, uh, a muscle. I've I've built this muscle that is like I can turn on, on can turn and be an on. extrovert as needed, but you know, I I wouldn't consider it. Because you're the same extrovert. thing. When you get on stage and you put on that show, you're putting on you're like a totally different person. Yeah. You are a rock star at that point. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if I'm doing it for myself or am I am I feeding off of the energy from the audience, which I think is also, somebody shared something recently. There's such thing as an extroverted introvert, whatever that means. I think someone just made that up. But I was reading it. I'm I like, think it's yeah, kind of exactly. a, an explanation for what we're talking about. Yeah. Though, you know? yeah. So maybe I'm an energy sucker. So I'll like watch how, you know, what the audience is doing and like, you know, feed off of their energy. But also, I just don't care. Like if people don't look like they're having a good time, I don't even <laughs> care. Just don't I care. just do my thing. Right. <laughs> I, I used to be able to do that if I was like really sauced up. If they're not into it, I'm like, it's got to be me. It couldn't just possibly be that they don't like the style of music that I'm playing. Yeah. So, no, that, I just don't even care at that point. That's I mean, awesome. <laughs> Because I'm a snob. You're gonna I'm hear like, it and like it. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe that's why I do I seem like I am just a different person. There's that movie where he's like, I have a microphone and you you're don't. gonna <laughs> wedding singer. Yeah, wedding singer. That's it. Yeah. yeah that's now I want to do me. it. But yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've always noticed about you, Nicole, is that you're very good not just at the music, but also the business aspect of music. Mm. Where did that come from? And that's why I brought up the whole Virgo thing, because I do feel like some of your professional background does seep in to how you approach your music, because you you learn things, obviously, along the way. You are logical, practical, and systematic, which mm-hmm. is – talk to me about that. Yeah, that's kind of how I built all these skills, um, you know, building websites, things like that. When we first started as a band, I we couldn't afford to hire someone to build right. us a website or like create merch. And so I was like, you know what, I'm, I've got time. I'm going to teach myself how to do this. So I did. I just – um, dived into it and I, I watched videos and, um, you know, took t- training tutorials, classes, whatever I could and, and taught myself. I'm 
if you haven't gone on, I'm a pretty driven person. I have, borderline I picked obsessive, up on that. maybe. Like last night, I stayed up really late working on, on the uh, the new website for Radio Hero, which is not out. We're, we're not releasing it publicly yet, but it's coming soon. But it, that's just how I am. Once I start something, I have to finish it. And it's yeah. got to be perfect, mostly. <laughs> Why is the business aspect of being in a band often so overlooked, especially by younger bands. Younger bands, it's kind of like, I'm just here for the music. It's like, yeah, but if you want people to hear your music, you better get good at the business aspect of it too. Mm, especially now. I actually feel like that's what burned me out the most was the business. Right. Loved playing shows. I could, I'd do that forever and ever. Um, but the business side was a lot of work. I found not, I was working, you know, part, part time at that point. And, and the other part of my time we were, performing, uh, recording pretty extensively in the last year. And I was doing all the social media, which is a full-time job, especially now. So I would like strategically tag, um, like we were using, I got this new lens. It was a Sigma lens. And, uh, you know, anytime that we were using things on stage or like microphones, I would always tag the companies and it works like they they pick up on it and then they share it in their newsletters and stuff and like show photos like, look, this band is using our equipment. Look how they're using it. They're on tour and, you know, they're South by Southwest top 100 band. Like, check this out. Like uh, you. And but I had to get creative about it. And it was like constant Instagram photos, which. Uh, not a huge fan of taking pictures of myself, but I knew I had to, right. you know? <laughs> so like Instagram photos and um, videos. Oh, like you were doing with this podcast. We um, did a living room session series, which was... <sighs> when did you do that? Man, that must have been maybe 2000. 13, 14, somewhere around there, maybe. Um, And we had this idea that we would cover songs as the last year band, call it the Living Room Sessions. Um, So they were sort of acoustically driven. We literally pushed the furniture back in our living room and filmed it and would bring in guest musicians um, like Athena came and played. Um, Our friends in Jelly Bricks did a song of um, an REM cover with us, which, by the way, um, REM actually, one of the guys in the band, shared the video and was like, I like this. We were like, yes, that's you can't, awesome. You can't beat that. Now, <laughs> I did say this in the introduction. You covered with Nikki Barban, Nine Inch Nails, Closer. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose the song? And two, was it just so long ago that getting Trent's attention at the time would have almost been impossible? Like, you couldn't really hashtag Trent Reznor at that point. Yeah. Also, I'm not sure I would have because I'm a right? huge Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor fan. And to the point where I... And he For is, fear that maybe he wouldn't have liked it yes, kind of thing. Yes. Well, fear that he wouldn't like it or that, you know, okay. other people would think it's lame. Because I think fans of Nine Inch Nails, like, they're a cool band. And right. They're so, very territorial. Yeah, like, yeah. we we played a show with Buck Cherry, and Buck Cherry played Head Like a Hole, yeah. and nobody was having it. Ooh. For a lot of reasons. Like, yeah. seemingly, a lot of the crowd wasn't having Buck Cherry in general, but oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was their show. <laughs> But as soon as they, oh, they launched into that, it was like, it was that. It was like, you are on sacred ground. You need to get out of here with this song now. Yeah. Like, no, I don't know. It's just something about that song. I thought it would be, would be really cool to cover it and to do it from a female's perspective, just right. given the lyrical content. And uh, so we actually did three different versions of that video. The 
Um, I didn't see the video. I only heard the song. Oh, you have to check out the video. video. The final version of the video we did ourselves. Um, We had used a couple of different, um, I don't know, um, like video, like video production teams. We just really were not happy with it. And so finally we're like, screw it. Let's just do it ourselves. And we came up with like the concept, use um, a friend of ours, he has like a construction business. So we used one of his buildings to film it and then got one of our friends to be the guy that I taped up and <laughs> tortured. Okay, now I got to see it. <laughs> this sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's a great video if you get a chance to watch it. And I think people actually enjoyed our version because it stayed mostly pretty true to the the feel of the song. But again, it's like it's a female singing it. So it's a l- just enough yeah. difference to make it cool. Going back to the business aspect of everything, when we were growing up, that whole idea of selling out was like it was like a, a dirty word or a dirty set of words. Is that even like a real thing anymore? Because it seems like that's kind of an archaic thought process. I think it is now, but I, and maybe you do too, I struggle with it still, maybe because we come from that era. Like, Do you want to promote the living hell out of it, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I guess what I mean is there was a while there where I, I, did, I did covers and then we did the original thing and now I'm kind of back to doing covers and I, I sort of feel like... I love writing music. Um, that's always going to be a part of me, but I still have that feeling of I'm co- covering other people's music when I could be doing my original music. I think that's where I kind of yeah. struggle. But I want to be on stage. I and love you being cover all kinds of different genres. Yeah. One of the songs that I hadn't heard from you before was uh, Sugar. That is a really cool reggae soul kind of song that I was not anticipating. Did you hear the right Sugar? I might not have. Okay. So this is a side note. You can cut this if you want. <laughs> no, no. This is probably the best part. <laughs> but the ver- so the the imagery, this is somebody messed up. There's There was some issue with metadata um, and somebody uploaded a song to our – they like they overwrote uh, the metadata that was original to like what I had uploaded okay. for sugar. Oh, no. So the song itself on Spotify and possibly in other, like wherever our stuff was distributed, oh, no. when you p- hit play, it's not the real sugar. Well, <laughs> but the it's still image, a cool song. The image and the name and the <laughs> right. Yeah. So the only place you can find the real version of sugar. I know I've been trying to get it taken down. I have to tell you, it is so complicated. Um, and I don't know if it has to do with the way, like copyright laws, or um, I just don't understand everything. I was pointing behind me because I've learned more than I ever wanted to know about metadata due to the trademark lawsuit. You couldn't just upload the songs under a different band name because the metadata was associated with your band name. So it just turned into this mess. Not only was this trademark troll able to take all of our music down, I couldn't put it up under another name. It would like go up for a couple days and then it would get like, I guess, go through the bots and then it would be taken back down. So then I was like, I was getting to this point where it was like, I talked to somebody at Apple and they're like, well, you can re-record the songs. I'm like, I am not re-recording 13 albums for one. And two, that's ridiculous. Bands change their band name. 
but it, it turned into this whole thing. So we need to talk then because maybe you can help me expedite this process because I've spent way too many hours trying to fix this. So yeah, the real version of sugar sound. I mean, it's like an indie rock song and it's, um, you can find it on YouTube. I like did our think it was completely video. different. Yeah. That's yeah. why that's not us. And you notice <laughs> it has great. very little plays because people who do know us know that that's not the right song. And I've had people reach out. I'm like, I'm trying to fix it. It's so hard. Well, we're going to get into the last year, but I will say that Mania is an awesome song. Ah, thank you. I love the like, it's kind of got like video game intro, mm-hmm. you know, and it kind of gets into the the catchiness of it. It, it was really popular in Peru. Was it really? Yeah, Isn't seriously. that weird? Seriously. So I recently got a, a $75 check for all these streams happening in India, but I can't find the service that they're streaming the song on. Nobody here gives a, a damn about the song, but over there in India, apparently this song's big. So then I started trying to do target marketing to India to see if I could get somebody being like, oh, I just heard it on this. Yeah, and? I've got nothing. Uh, I still well, don't keep, know. I mean, maybe keep trying. Maybe but you'll find something. isn't that weird how your music could land so powerfully in a place that far away? Yeah, there's a radio station and um guys started tagging us and yeah, we were in like the top 10 along with, you know, Foo Fighters and all these other big bands like what? All right, well you're here to promote Radio Hero mainly. This mm-hmm. is your new project, it's a covers project. What kind of songs are you going to be performing as Radio Hero? Now, this is different than the Nukes, which was 90s alternative, mm-hmm. right? So we're still kind of doing some of that. Um, there's five of us in the band, two guitar players. So I'm not playing guitar at all, which is nice. I can just run around and be, have fun. Um, right. But we're doing some 90s stuff like with you know, Alanis Morissette, uh, which I love, and um, No Doubt. Uh, but we also hit some of the 80s stuff, like we do some Billy Idol, and then we maybe even hit a little 70s doing some Fleetwood Mac. Oh, this is and good. Harmonies sound awesome. That's what I'm really excited so about. So who's all in the band? The band is made up of five band members. Um, we've got Lorenzo on guitar, who also plays with Misspent Youth. Um, okay. Andy, Tony's on drums. And then um, we've got Bobby on bass. And we actually just started playing as a band maybe, I don't know, if it's been a month now. So probably right before I left for Spain, we... Um, did a couple rehearsals and then, um, lately we've been really, <laughs> really going at it. We've been rehearsing a couple times a week now and our first show is November 5th. So whose idea was all this? So Radio Hero had been around, um, they're on Starly okay. and, um, but their singer just all of a sudden was like, I'm out. And they were looking for a singer and it was a male singer, but they, and they were mostly looking for a male singer. And when I talked with Bobby, who's a pace player, um, he said, you know, let's, let's give it a try. You, you obviously have the experience and, you know, we hadn't really thought about having a girlfriend, the band, but let's see how it goes. Yeah. I think at that point there, when I auditioned with them, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so did you already know the songs to be playing this soon after kind of taking the gig? You had to have known, like, when did you learn all the material? Uh, that's taken some time. And, uh, I'll tell you, it's been a while since I've had to learn new songs, like the lyrics and you know how it is. Like it's, I learn by repetition and I use cues sometimes too. Like probably in the beginning here, I'll, I'll have cues like the start of different lines so that it like clicks, starts to click in my head. 
But, you know, I'm taking on the rap part of No Diggity, you know. Oh, you really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that that's going on YouTube and immediately as soon as November 5th hits. Yeah, um, that's a first. I've never done that before, but I've, I've oh, got really? it. I think I'll be able to nail it. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. And so we talked about maybe even doing Shoop. That would be fun to do. That'd be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> You recently put a quote on your Facebook page that said, just when I thought I was out, they put me back in, okay? (laughs) First of all, did you feel like you were out? I'm only asking because there have been times in my musical journey where I felt like that, I think maybe that's it. And then something came along, and then all of a sudden, another four-year or five-year cycle of a band happened. Mm -hmm. Is that how you felt? Did you feel like, is that what you were referring to, or? So all through the shutdown... Um, Scott and I were working on new material and mm-hmm. I always have that, but then it's like, what do we do with this? And, and like we were talking about on the business side of things, it's a lot of work to ramp anything up. Like, Especially if you want to come in where you left off. Yeah. Like, like the last year was professional. You had every T cross, every I dotted. It was an awesome group. So I get it. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to tour as an original band anymore because it was it, that's one of the reasons why we decided to take a break and we ended up taking a long break is because it was just there were a series of events that happened and I felt the whole universe was telling me I needed to stop for a while. Like I had been going hard um, with the original music thing since I was out of high school, long time. Yes. And we had we had just started working in the last year at this time. We had just started working with a new publicist, booking agency. Um, We had a show booked in Boston. I got sick. I probably only canceled shows maybe two or three times in my entire career if I was that sick. So it meant I was pretty sick. Um, We had to stop. We kind of cut the show a little short in Boston. We had another show the next night, but when I got the next day, my voice was gone. Um, And I just – and so we had to cancel the show. And, of course, that – you feel like, even though you're the artist, you feel like you're working for your management and your publicist and your booking agent. Like, that's how dedicated you are to being a musician. And you're also working your full-time job. Yeah. And And so you have all these bosses. I I feel like I've changed how I think about this sort of thing now, but then it was like, I want to make them I, I want them to keep booking shows for us. So I'm going to show them our worth, right? Um, so we had to right. cancel that show, which was a total bummer. And then we had another show several weeks later booked in New York City. Um, van and trailer broke down on the side of the road in New Jersey. And uh, we were even thinking, well, what if we rented a car and put all the stuff in the car and drove up to New York? Like just coming up with these crazy ideas about how do we get to the show and right. just – I was so burnt out at that point. I was like, it, we canceled the show again. And I think I think our, our booking agency was just like, no, nah, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. So all of those things all at once, I just felt like I, I need a break from this. I, it's, yeah. Well, that's why I'm I asked uh, down. Like, <laughs> like how you traverse the whole COVID thing, because for me, I was doing it just like you were, like outrageous amount of shows and albums and go, 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 go. And that was when the wave finally hit the shore and knocked me over. It was like everything, it was flooding back. And I had nowhere to go besides these walls. Mm -hmm. It was a very difficult time. And afterwards, you know, obviously things have changed a little bit. Yeah. And do you think in many ways for the better? I think so. 
Yeah. I think so, but not not 100% sure. I was just talking to the old guitarist from Underground, and I feel like I'd like to get back on stage, but overwhelmed completely with the process of starting the band, doing all the marketing, getting all the gears turning. What is it going to take to do that? And I just... Uh, just I will say, since you're a, a, a Virgo Libra, yes, yes. <laughs> once you start down that path, you'll probably just, you know dive head first and just right. take it as it comes. And I, I'd say now, now that I'm back to like, you're feeling the adrenaline. Yeah. And- I think once you start playing with a band again, you get all those feelings back again. Like I love the camaraderie of the band. I love the weird personalities and quirks of all the <laughs> band members and how they interact together and the way that you, you know, the music comes together, the harmonies, the guitar parts, the bass lines. Like, it's like, yes, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's very exciting. You are going to be doing the cover circuit again. What rooms do you think you'll be playing? Good question. Because Starley will put you everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I think we're ready for everywhere. Um, so we've got our first show is at Malloy's, which is in Gambrel's. And then uh, we've got some show books at Caddy's in Bethesda. I think we might be looking at Purple Moose in the summertime. I've definitely played uh, Fakers a lot um, and uh, know Greg really well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're back in Fagers. It's a cool spot. And... I don't know. I guess you'll see us around. Maybe Looney's, you know? Yes. Come to Looney's North, mm-hmm. right up here, right up the road. Talk to me about the crowd interaction, being an original artist versus doing the cover circuit. Mm-hmm. It's totally different. We were just talking about this at breakfast. I don't feel like at the original shows, not just our band, any band, people are as into it as they once were. Mm, interesting. I'll let you know after I go to the show tonight. No, no. I think the cover circuit's going to be... You know, it's going to be popping. But I, I yeah. feel like in the original world, it's just kind of, I don't know. You you see a lot more people with their arms crossed kind of staring at you. They're into it, but you would never know it. <laughs> Do you think it's because they don't know the music? And like with the cover thing, you're playing like yeah. their favorite jams. So and they're just out to have like, a good time. Do you time? like that or do you prefer that at times? Like You know, if you play this Fleetwood Mac song, people are going to light up like mm-hmm. a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. It's exciting both ways, I think. The the original thing, we definitely had our, our fans always coming out to shows. It, or we'd be on shows with other bands that were really good friends of ours that, um, you know, we also looked up to. Like, we we did a tour with Sick of Sarah, and that was always a ton of fun because we we had kind of similar um, audiences. So right. you build this community with these groups of musicians and fans and followers and um so that that community vibe, I feel like that's like part of the original music scene yes. thing. The cover band thing, I think there is a little bit of that. Um, but also some people just go out after work and they just want to let loose and have some drinks and listen to songs they already know and request things that we don't know. <laughs> I mean, the Nikki Bar band in particular would have really fit in well with that indie scene. Bad Mary, the Dolly Rots. Mm-hmm. Anything Roddy Bingenheimer would have played on the Underground Garage would have been a really killer fit for, for Nikki Bar band. And there was definitely, if you can get into those scenes, you do, like, you absorb other fans. They absorb your fans. It's really cool. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, one of my favorite labels right now is Epitaph. I feel like they have so many bands on their roster that I love. So, um, I get you. All right. Fun questions. All right. Favorite Halloween candy? You've got some in front of you there. 
It's the Easy. Reese's. It's absolutely Reese's. It's the Reese's 100%. peanut butter cup. Didn't chocolate even hesitate. Chocolate peanut butter is the best marriage. All there. right. So you're are you into sugar candies too, like Skittles and stuff like that, or just strictly chocolate? Depends. Sometimes I get a sweet tooth where like I, I have like a little stash of Starbursts, but it's really rare that I eat sweet, like sickening sweet stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Usually it's chocolate. Dark okay. chocolate. Favorite Halloween horror movie. Let's see. I was actually introduced to Texas Chainsaw Massacre by Scott. Okay. And it is so terrifying that it is my favorite. It's pretty horrible. All right. So the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So are you talking about the remake or the original, the OG? Um, I think this one actually is a remake. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that one was really good. Yeah. Have you and Scott, speaking of Scott, have you ever considered doing like the two-person costume, like the horse? <laughs> Like where one person's the back end, one person's the front end. Have never thought about that. Okay. I'm trying to think of when we've well, gone. Now like, you've got that a, mental image <laughs> as a planned like couple thing. I don't know. I I think we're too different to come up with something that would be like a couple. Yeah, he'd want to be something totally different. He has his own identity. Okay. <laughs> In the spirit of things and some Nikki Bar trivia, you have a song called Ghosts. Do you personally believe in the spiritual world, angels, demons, and all that kind of thing? That's really interesting. I don't know. Maybe somewhere deep in my psyche I do, or maybe I'm fascinated by that world. You know, you you had asked about whether I have any ghost stories to share, and I've never experienced any sort of supernatural encounters okay. myself, but growing up on the Eastern Shore, there's all these old houses, okay. and like I always loved the idea of evil things um, sort of lurking around, but I've never experienced them. What do you mean I just you, have you a really like the idea of evil things <laughs> lurking around. So my grandparents had this old farmhouse and it was set like back against the woods. Like the next house was at least a mile up the road. So you're by yourself and like the wallpaper was peeling. It was just super old and oh, kind natural, of creepy. Yeah. And they had like the old barns because they, you know, I mentioned they had chickens and sheep and goats and all that stuff. Sound effects, um, sound effects, sound effects. All, all of that. And I don't know. I used to freak myself out thinking that there were like, I would see a shadow, but I never. Like shadow people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I liked being outside of my comfort zone. Right. And I'm still that way today. Um, so maybe I just like the idea that these things exist, but they've never, maybe because I expect them to, it's never happened to me. So I have a theory. <laughs> I don't know if it's right. Maybe it's an episode for ancient aliens, but what if ghosts are actually just invisible beings that are actual aliens? It could be. And I, I'd probably be like, that makes more sense to me than spirits. Right. I don't know. This is kind of an interesting question. I'm not sure why it's there, but I must have been in a weird zone. Have you ever used the Ouija board to conjure lyrics? Lyrics? Never tried it with lyrics. I actually won't touch a Ouija board. Um, okay. Because I think if, you know, as I mentioned, like I Such like the- Such a weird thing to sell to children. <laughs> We were just talking on the other show, like, can you imagine the sales meeting where, like, Ouija boards aren't selling? Like, Bob, what are you doing? Demonic possession's down. Do something. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how kids get them. I guess their parents buy them. Or maybe right. they, or maybe their parents had them because they were also really big. Like, when did they come out? In the 70s, maybe? Seems appropriate. I, like, Mattel, what are you doing? Yeah. 
It seems like something. We got shoots and ladders, battleship, and Ouija boards. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I've never really messed with them, mostly because I have. Well, most people haven't, Nicole. I mean, respect for dead people, you know? But I don't know if you know this, at least I've heard that Jimmy Page used to get into kind of some of that stuff, and that's where they would pull some of their lyrics from. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Because I've often wondered if, like, supernatural energy can get trapped into songs. Have you ever listened to a song, for whatever reason, there's just a, like, Hotel California is a good example, where it's just like, this song makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Not because I don't like it, but there's just something about it. Mm Mm-hmm. There, there is definitely a, a physical response that I get when I listen to songs. It, it's like an emotional and a physical response to music. And I think that's why I'm so obsessed with it because it's not just some people, and I don't know how they do this, but they can listen to music and it goes one in one ear out the other. And I'm like, it's a full body experience for me. Is it that way for you? It like is. when you go and see shows? I was actually <sighs> curious. Have you ever written something or gone to a place mentally to write something that you actually felt like you've gone to a place maybe too far and you're not even sure if you should like record it because of that? But then it ends up being one of the most impactful ones because you tap that vein. All the time. Okay. And yeah, I'm good. always afraid to share it. Like I get really nervous before I share my song, even if the music was written by like Scott or one of the other guys in the band, and like I come up with a melody, I'm like so. Um, I don't, I don't even know if I can find the word, but I'm, I'm scared to, to release it. Like it's like this thing, it's mine, it's all mine, you right, know. Until it's not. Yeah. <laughs> we have this song called "The Gift." I, I won't listen to it if I'm alone. Uh-huh. It's a weird song. It gives me weird vibes. <laughs> I wasn't even particularly a weird place when I wrote it, but there's just something. That got trapped in it, and I just like mm, it's over there. Maybe I'll open it at, at a later date. Yeah. Do you also have? Uh, is it also hard for you to listen to yourself and like on songs, like you singing? Yes. It, yeah, it's because you, like, my mind judge. All, like all I hear is the voice. Yeah. I could have played guitar, bass, and sang, but all I hear is the voice. Same. Yeah. So it's kind of like all the little intricacies. You're like, it's just like a little uh, there, you know? And I was one of those people like I, I became a singer. I was like writing and recording music before there was ever a band. So somebody had to sing. I wasn't going to have somebody else sing my songs, but that wasn't really my intent. Mm. So I'm really kind of self-conscious about it, you know. I can understand that. I, I was lucky in elementary school. I had a music teacher, a a Beatles fan, actually. Biggest Beatles fan ever. And so, like, you know, he'd have song of the week would be Yellow Submarine. And as a kid, you're like, this is the greatest song ever because it's so cool. And there's all those sounds in the song. Um, So anyways, he he knew very early on that I had an ear for singing um, and good with pitch. And so I um, auditioned to be part of the chorus in elementary school. And, you know, they hit notes. He hit notes on the piano and I had to, you know, hit those notes with my using my voice. And he's like, oh, I already know you can sing. You'll be fine. I'm going to make you an alto, which was the greatest thing. I know I'm actually more of a soprano singer now because I actually did like – classical training, voice training mm-hmm. later in life. And my vocal coach was like, you're actually a soprano, not an alto. Yeah, your voice got stronger and yeah. now that's your real voice. But it trained my ear because being an alto, you're singing all of the harmonies. So you're not singing the main melody line. So now like harmonies are super 
easy for me well, to great. pick up on. Because um, that's not the case for everybody. They yeah. just don't hear them. But maybe that's it, though. Maybe you can train yourself if you, you know, if you work on it, like in a choral setting where you're forced to have to sing all of the harmonies against those main melodies. So I think very early on, I had someone as my coach kind of saying, you're great. I'm going to usher you along. I'm going to give you the solo in the song. And so you build your confidence. And Um, confidence is so much. Yeah. So teachers are great. That's that's the moral of the story. Who were some of your earliest influences? Like the Ooh. bands, obviously you brought up the Beatles, but who are some of your earliest influences? Give me five if you can. Okay. They're going to be all over the map. That's though. fine. <clears throat> so I actually heard uh, during one of your podcasts, someone mentioned Bon Jovi. <laughs> Maybe it's an age thing. Cause right? like we probably. My sister was obsessed with him. We were, we were probably grew up around the same era and like we're introduced to whatever was going on in the mainstream music. So like I, my first memory of music was Bon Jovi. Okay. And, Slippery when wet or New Jersey era. Um, I don't, It would have been like, I don't know, mid eighties, mid to late eighties. Okay. Somewhere in there. Um. <clears throat> Okay, so then uh, Bon Jovi, <laughs> Bon Jovi, into uh, you know. Then I went through super pop phase where I had um, like cassette tapes of CNC Music Factory oh, and Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. That just hear me out though. These this no, is I, just, I, I love it. I'm it's building the picture sh- here. I'm sharing the progression. I mean, I had the Mariah Carey's CDs. I think that these bands Boys stick with to you. Men, Boys to Men. Okay. You know? um, and I even went out like later on, I got into like Bust the Rhymes and like that stuff was awesome. And then um, Rock, I think Green Day, Dookie was like the first record I heard where I got in the car. My mom was in the car and I was like, we're going to start listening to 99.1 now. <laughs> so and you're the second guest who has told me that Dookie, Green Day in particular, was the first rock band. Yeah. Gabe Woodrow, if you're familiar with him, mm-hmm. he said the same thing. Yeah. And again, maybe it was just circumstance, the people I was around. Like, you're in, I grew up in a small town, so I'm influenced by very little radio stations, but we did get HFS and Fantastic. HFS changed my life. Like, I. Were you going to the HF festivals? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's when I Doing realized. Doing the nitrous balloons <laughs> in the parking lot. <laughs> well, I wasn't, I was like, I think the first year I went, I was 13. Okay. <laughs> so well, I maybe wasn't doing that Nobody went right there yet. to do nitrous balloons, but there was always these tanks that would come out of the woods. And some people would be like, you want a nitrous balloon? I'm like, I, I guess. What's I that pro- going to do? I probably would have tried it if someone like shared it with me. But, you know, I was going to those concerts with my mom. And um, okay. I was mostly. Hey, mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, later, obviously not. But um, yeah. And that was the first time that I saw women on stage fronting rock bands. So yeah, I no saw doubt. No Doubt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a band called Lush. Um, trying to remember who else I saw. Um, and then I, I got into Smashing Pumpkins and they had Darcy, the ba- the chick bass player. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and all of these things started to line up for me. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to be a musician. I want to run a band. So your parents, obviously, you just said they were into it. Yeah, my my mom loves music. Even my stepfather does. I grew up mostly with my um, stepfather and my mom, and they they greatly supported me. Like bought me my first guitar. Even my stepfather was the one driving us to gigs there for a while. And I started playing early. What like was your 15. first guitar? Um, I had a Mexican made Fender 
Strat. Okay. It was blue. I feel like I just sold this guitar maybe like three years ago. Um, I had it for a while. It, and I had this really crappy combo Squire amp. It was like you got the guitar with the amp from Jason's music store in like Glen Burnie. I don't I yeah, think I remember. It's definitely not there anymore. But yeah, that was my first little rig. So your voice has changed over the years and with the projects. Nikki Barr had a little bit more of a punk approach. Mm-hmm. And as where the last year was a little bit more pop oriented, when did the voice start changing? Or was that like kind of a conscious decision? Like that's that style or that I wanted to like separate the bands with my voice. Because when you have multiple projects, there is the tendency like the one thing that I can change 100% is the voice. Uh, so that is a really good observation. No one's really pointed that out before, but of course I kind of, I, I know it exists that I'd certainly had a different voice and approach to how I sang Nikki Barban stuff versus the last year where I would sing some falsetto things because I could and yeah. it fit with the music and the style and I was a little bit more electronic and ethereal. And, um, I think, I think it came down to like the makeup of the band, right? We had Island Styles, who is this incredible guitar. He's like he guitar I'd like god. I'd to get him on the show, honestly. If he listens to this, Island, I said it, you're a guitar god. You're a guitar god, <laughs> Island. Um, and nobody plays like him. Like the, he was irreplaceable. Like yeah. he. And he left the band to join Jimmy's Chicken Shack, which is awesome. Yes. I I was grateful, but also a little heartbroken because it meant that like we couldn't replace his spot. We had to do something else. And that's kind of how the last year was born. I started play- – I even remember Sugar, the real version of okay. Sugar, <laughs> was the first song we wrote. And it was just BJ, Scott, and I in the basement jamming. We had been – auditioning guitar players to fill island spot really Mm -hmm. what we weren't finding the right person and i started playing that lead guitar part you'd have to find the song to listen to because that's not what it sounded like to me but yeah i I wrote like that part and it just became the song and um scott griffith who joined the band as guitar player was the perfect guy to really make the last year sound like it does you know lots of last year is awesome cool like big chords just beautiful and i was curious actually what the songwriting process is it really varies um and i i think songwriters i've heard songwriters share how they come up with their songs and um i i tend to be the type that i once i start writing a song, the floodgates open, um, lots of songs come pouring out all at once Same. and then it's just gone. Yeah. It's like, I can't even, I can't force it. It's going to be bad. Like, so I kind of just roll with it when it comes. And I'd say maybe like a couple times a year and it, it tends to happen when the seasons change. I don't know. Again, maybe it's like an energy thing, but um, that's usually when I get like a flood of ideas. And sometimes there are songs that Scott has started um, or, or Scotty. So Scott Griffith, from right, right. if we're talking about the last year, he, they give me some ideas where it's just like guitar, drum, like melody, chords, ideas. And I'll like listen to them over and over again and get ideas and sort of chop it up some, move things around, and it just becomes something. Um, There were some really cool things happening towards the 
very early years of the last year where Scott and I would just write from scratch <clears throat> and finish a song. And that also is a little bit unpredictable because sometimes we'll sit down and he's like, do you got any ideas? And I'm like, no. Um, but at that point, we were just really open to whatever, just seeing where things mm -hmm. went, usually after a few drinks. <laughs> right, right. And we just start like playing things on the guitar or on the keys and songs would just kind of write themselves. So it really varies. So with all the songs coming at once, Keith Richards, I said this on a previous podcast, but he always said like he just kind of plucks them out of the air. Do you think in some capacity, maybe you're a conduit? Like maybe there's an energy or whatever that's trying to come through you or through your experience because that's exactly how it happens for me. It's like all of the songs come at once, but then there's so there's like a backlog of songs. I'll never catch up. Do you feel like they're um, coming strictly from you? That's a really interesting point. I have no idea where they come from. I don't know how I come up with the lyric ideas and the melody, and they sometimes just tend to work together. But when it does happen, I I become obsessed. You know, you start your work right. your work week, and I'm like trying to work, but all I hear in my head is this like melodic no. idea or, <laughs> right. or words and it's not and you ever find yourself sneaking outside and singing it real oh, quietly yeah. into the phone like <laughs> shower sometimes if i'm in that space where things are coming uh pretty quickly i'll like keep my phone nearby right. all the time just because i want to capture it but then you know you hear these stories about the beatles where they didn't even you know they didn't have that technology and so the songs that ended up on the records were the ones that they would remember like they wrote so much material it's that so weird. all of, there's tons of it that just got lost because they couldn't remember it so I'm not that way. I need to I need to like capture it immediately. Well, when I sat down to write all these questions and and do the research, I ended up with eight pages. And we're over an hour now at this point, <laughs> and we're about four and a half pages in. So I'm gonna skip ahead because we'll just do it again sometime. Okay. But uh okay. You got some new music that you're working on with Scott. Is that gonna be the last year? And can you talk about it at all? And are we gonna hear something at the end? Yes. Um, so we yes. have new material. It is, uh, it will be a new project. Okay. Uh, we're calling it EXE. EXE? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I. Is have... it going to be dot EXE? <laughs> I don't know yet. We're, <laughs> we're in such the early stages okay. that we haven't really fully fleshed it out. Um, so maybe the next time we I you know I come to the podcast Scott yes. can come along and he can I was also... gonna say you know after we were talking I was like I could have Scott Scott yeah. could have been here too because having that extra person adds like a little bit more of a different yeah. dynamic yeah so it would be fun to have him here to talk about that and we'll maybe we'll have more music ready to go but we probably have uh, about an EP's worth at least of new music and uh, so we have a brand new song, actually, that so we want to share with the world, I guess. Yes. Everybody can We are going now. to promote this. We will do a Facebook boost on this one. Yeah. So this is, what's the song called? It's called World on Fire. And so. And is it not? Yeah. Well, you can see where I'm going with this, but it was, I wrote it while we were, things were still kind of locked down and, um, you know, there's been a lot happening in the world on this planet, uh, you know, just droughts and fires and all sorts ecosystems are out of whack. And so the song is, is about that. But when we tracked 
vocals, it was right around when Russia was invading Ukraine. And now at that point, it sort of taken on new meaning. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. I'll let you guys decide what it means to you. But um, yeah. Well, you're very busy <laughs> as always. November 5th, you're going to be at Malloy's with Radio Hero. Mm-hmm. And Nicole Marie, mm-hmm. thank you for being on the show. This is called World on Fire. Thank you, mother. 